Amen. It's wonder, wonderful to have our visitors with us, some of the Hart family. Our, our wonderful assistant elder brother Hart is not alone tonight. <laughs> He's here in full force. Amen. Wonderful to have you all with us. And I'm thankful to see all the rest of you too. Amen. Would you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15? I feel like the Lord wants to show us some things in this passage of Scripture here. And, um, amen, we'll let His will be done. 2 Timothy 2, 15. Praise God. This first verse is very well known. And I will read it, but I also want to talk about what is surrounding this verse. So 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study. Everybody say study. Everybody say study. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let me remind you, this book that we're reading is called Second Timothy. It's a book that the Apostle Paul wrote directly to Tim, Timothy, Timotheus, whatever you want to call him. Often he's called his son in the gospel, and uh, I appreciate the voice that the Lord used uh, through the Apostle Paul in this letter, in the, in the two letters that he wrote to Timothy. There, if you take the time to study them, you see and you'll, you'll pick up on the fact that the tone in these books is a little different than what we see in his other general epistles like Ephesians or Thessalonians or Romans. Whereas in those he's writing to the congregations in those areas, here this is a personal note, a personal letter, one-on-one -on -one in a lot of ways. So he's telling Timothy to study, to show himself approved unto God, and to show himself a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. Because he rightly divides the word of truth, I would dare say, and I can infer in that statement that Paul is saying, if you don't rightly divide the word of truth, but yet you want to claim to be someone that reads the Bible, somebody that talks to the Lord, knows the Lord, well, you're not doing something right that would bring cause or occasion even for you to be ashamed if you're not rightly dividing the word of truth. And he's going to, I told you this is a personal letter. Yeah, you'll see what I mean by that as we keep going. So study to show yourself approved. Be a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Verse 16, but shun profane and vain babblings. I really don't think we use any one of those words, those key words in our modern day um, 
lingo. So if you'll allow me to just um, share a little bit of what it means. To shun. To shun means to turn away from or to avoid. Avoid, stay away from, turn away from. And he's talking about a certain kind of speaking. Profane and vain speaking. Profane, we know profane is pro profanity in a sense because you're talking in a way that you shouldn't talk. I like how the fact that if you look up that word though, one, one of the synonyms you see for the word profane is common. Common, not vulgar, common. Yes, you should shun vulgar babblings as well. Don't get me wrong. But here he's saying more than just making a list of words that we don't say, think about what you actually are saying and think about what's said in commonality in this world. He's saying this to Timothy. It's a one-on-one. -on -one. Paul knows enough about Timothy to say, you're going to find yourselves, yourself in many various situations, in many various places. You're going from this city and this town and this region. And everywhere you go, there's going to be a common way that people talk. Shun that. Shun it. Turn away from it. That's, that's the meaning by, behind profane. And then vain is empty. Everybody say vain is empty. Vain is empty. Empty babblings. Worthless talking. A type of speaking that produces nothing. Shun that. Those kinds of speaking. For they will increase unto more ungodliness. Man, Paul is just laying the hammer down, really. He, he's, he's telling Timothy, if you talk this way, or if you don't, e if, not even if you talk this way, if you don't shun this kind of conversation, it will produce more ungodliness. Everybody want to be godly? I think we do. We want to be godly. Paul says, here's one way. Shun that kind of speaking. It's more than just whether you say these words or not. It is, do you assimilate to where this language is spoken? Oh, man, how, how often have we talked about Lot? I promise you, Lot is nowhere in the notes. But how often have we talked about Lot recently? It, Lot, it says Lot was vexed by the filthy conversation of the wicked. He didn't talk that way. He didn't act that way. In fact, he was the righteous one that Abraham was pleading for. But 
he put himself in the middle of a situation where everybody around him talked like that. Profane and vain babblings, I guarantee you, that was common where, where Lot lived in Sodom and in Gomorrah. Profane and vain talking. It's, uh, I'm just trying to make this point. It's not only about what you say. You can say, oh, I'm putting the filter right here. I'm not going to let those words come out, so I'm a, I'm a good, clean, good, clean Christian. Just because I don't say this and this and this and this, that makes me a good, clean Christian. Really? I don't really know anywhere in the Scripture that says, if you don't cuss, you're a good Christian. I'm just saying. I don't know that that's in there. I do know that the Scripture says that salt water and fresh water don't flow out of the same fountain. Clean and unclean don't flow out of the same source. So if there is unclean flowing out of a source, well, we won't go there. But I, this, I'm just telling you, this is, not, this is not Paul telling Timothy don't cuss. I don't want you to try and simplify it to that degree. He's saying shun all of that conversation, all of that type of conversation. Because it will lead to, it will increase unto more ungodliness. Verse 17, and their word, there, T-H-E-I-R, that is a personal. Uh, what's the English term? It's not a pronoun, is it? It's a possessive something. Possessive pronoun? A personal possessive a personal possessive pronoun. There. There. Whose? The ones that talk like this. Their word will eat. Their word will eat. This is why you've got to shun it. This is why you've got to avoid it. Because their word will eat. It's not even just going to increase to more ungodliness and just keep spurring more and more ungodliness. It's going to eat. Their word will eat as doth a canker. And another word we don't use often. But if I told you the, the Greek word for, for canker... It would sound a whole lot like a word you've heard. Maybe you don't use it, but you know it. It's gangrene. Gangrene. We've, you've probably heard of gangrene before. It's a disease. It's a flesh disease. It's something that gets inside and eats at the body. It starts on the skin. It gets down through the skin into the tissue and the muscle until it gets all the way to the bone. And before you know it, that body part is no longer functioning. This is the terminology Paul used to describe what profane and vain babblings does to a person. 
their word eats. Deteriorates. That kind of speaking deteriorates a person. Of whom is Hymenius and Philetus? Two guys you don't know. But Paul says these are an example of the kind of guy that talk like that. I told you this is a personal letter, right? So, so Paul's telling Timothy, remember these two guys? They're an example of the kind of speaking that leads to this kind of impact or effect on a person's life. Um, stay here, but also jump to 1 Timothy 1, verse 20, because this first character, Hymenius, is mentioned here as well. And I just want you to see what Paul says about Hymenius in the other passage. 1 Timothy 1, verse 20. Of whom is Hymenius and Alexander? He's always got a cohort. And the other one is Philetus. Here it's Alexander. Let me pause for a second and just tell you it matters who you spend time with. It matters who you talk to and who you don't talk to. Oh, but I just, I want to, I, I, I want to be such a good Christian around them that it'll rub off on them and they'll be a good Christian. Mm. You better examine that really closely and see who is influencing who. There's one, oh man, I'm like a rabbit trail off of a rabbit trail, but come on, just hang on, we're getting somewhere. There's one place in Scripture that says a, a godly person living a godly life can affect and save an ungodly person. And I think it's 2 Timothy when it says the wife's godly or chaste conversation, the husband beholding that. That's the only place in Scripture where there's a precedent that you can just be Christian enough around somebody that they'll be Christian too. They'll be saved too. God will work in them because you're such an outstanding Christian. That's it. And even in that one, I don't have the time to go there tonight, but even in that one, wives, if you really want to go that route, we'll have, a, we'll have to have a really good, strict talk about it. Husbands as well. Well, let me reel it back to the first rabbit trail that I was on. It matters who you hang out with and who you spend time with who you talk to and what you talk about. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now the very fact that Paul would say, I have delivered them unto Satan, means somewhere in the past he had some personal relationship or encounter with them at least enough to say brother I know that we've been together in the past but I can't hang out with you anymore I'm going this direction I'm trying to fulfill the will of God in my life I'm trying to follow the call of God in my life and everything that you say makes that more and more difficult more and more challenging and it's not just what you say is who you're talking about. You blaspheme. You're 
talking not about a friend, a relative, a co-worker, a neighbor. You're talking this way about the Lord. That's serious. I've delivered them to Satan that they might learn not to blaspheme. Wouldn't you learn, wouldn't you love to just uh, I, I find that one somewhere in, the, in history? Go study their life and see what, what happened to them that Satan would have to teach them not to blaspheme. That, that doesn't sound like a pretty story to me. They got released so far outside the ministry and the covering that Satan, they're yours now. Hopefully the work you do in them is going to teach them not to blaspheme. All right, let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 18. Again, verse 17 says, Their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred. He's still talking about these two guys now. Concerning the truth they have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already. That's what these two guys are going around propagating. The resurrection has already happened. They're not talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ because that had already happened. They're talking about the rapture, the, the calling away of the saints. That resurrection. They, somehow they got some crazy idea that that happened and all of us that are here missed it. I just want to remind you this real quick. I'm watching the time. I promise I'm going to try to be quick. The Lord brought this back to my memory and most of you were here. Uh, um, last year when we had a guy randomly show up and he went into the kids' classroom. You remember that Sunday? What a fun Sunday that was. What I remember about that, this, this passage is what caused me to remember it. Paul saying these two jokers, these two guys are going around telling people that the resurrection has already happened. We're not so far removed from that kind of thing. Because this instance that I'm talking about that happened here in our building, a guy got into the classroom and asked the kids, what if I told you Jesus has already come? Now that's about all he got out before he got out. But where does that come from? Just stop and think. Where does that come from? What kind of weird, strange spiritual influence is out there trying to propagate a false doctrine? Uh, Hymenius, I need you to learn not to blaspheme. I'm delivering you over to Satan. Concerning the truth, you have erred. All right. This is the, here's an example. Remember, Paul's telling Timothy, here's an example. These two guys are the type of guys that have profane and vain babblings that if you hear it, if you're plugged into it, if you're listening to it, if you push play on their podcast, 
if you subscribe to their YouTube channel, if you are listening to what they are saying, it's going to increase ungodliness in your life. Sometimes I stop and tell you I'm not mad. Well, right now I'm kind of mad. I'm not mad at anybody here. But I'm mad at a spirit that would say anything is fine. Anything under the umbrella of Christianity is okay. You can listen to this. It's safe. You can watch that. It's safe. That makes me mad. Verse 19, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Jump down, if you will, to verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these he shall be a vessel unto honor sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work verse 22 flee also youthful lusts paul writing to timothy telling timothy flee also youthful lusts I don't ever want us as a congregation to think we're so spiritual that we don't have to be re reminded to flee lust. If Paul needed to tell Timothy, if the Holy Ghost needed to tell Timothy through Paul, I don't ever want to think I'm so spiritual, I don't need to hear that. I don't ever want to think, well, we've got an elevated spirituality in this congregation, so we don't have to deal with things like that. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness. And he gives them a, a, a good list here. Things to follow. Things to follow. If these guys had YouTube channels, I would say subscribe to them. If they were on Twitter, Twitter I would say follow them. Righteousness. Faith. Charity. Peace. With them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Again, Paul is saying it matters who you spend time with. It matters who you congregate with. I'm going to say this. It matters more who you, we, spend time with outside of this building than inside it. I'm not worried about you once you get here. Really, honestly, truthfully, I'm not worried about you once you get here. It's wherever else you are and whoever else you're with when you're not here. Can I just be a dad for a minute? In my house, we have rules. You don't do this. You don't say that. You don't watch this. You don't talk like that. You don't say this about your brother. You don't say this about your sister. We have rules. As long as it's my house, we'll follow those rules. 
Now, I'm not saying this church is my house and it's my rules. No, it's, this is the Lord's property here. And everything he says goes. But the principle is, and what I meant by I don't have to worry about you when you're here is, we're under his authority here. We're under his covering here. We've got his anointing hovering over us here. And then we all have the choice. Am I going to take my portion of that with me when I leave here? Or am I just going to lay, lay it there? Leave it at the church building and pick it up on Sunday? Or put it back on on Tuesday for a little bit? Follow these things with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Verse 23. Paul is the master of redundancy, I feel like. Because he's going to say what it sounds like he's already just said, but he's going to say it again. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid. <laughs> you probably heard the saying, there's no stupid questions. I don't want to go down that road, really. But Paul wrote, through the anointing of God, avoid. What was the other word we used earlier that means avoid? Shun. Avoid foolish and unlearned questions. Here's what I believe. I think this is a safe practice. You can have a one-strike policy with people. Give them the benefit of the doubt. And they ask you a question, and you think, I don't even know if you want to know the answer to that. You know? You're asking the question to promote some kind of conversation or dialogue or share something that people know. Hey, this is what's going on in my brain. Or at least that's what I want you to think. That's why I'm going to ask this question. There, oh, there was a guy. That's all I'm going to say. Not who, when, where, how, why. There was a guy that used to hang around some people that I know because I was there too. I'm trying to be vague. And every time he would show up for Bible studies, this guy, he wasn't the most consistent. But when he was there, he would have you think he was engaged. And here's how he would have you think he was engaged. He would ask a question. He would come up with a question that sounds like he read it in the Bible, which is, all right, good job, brother. You've been reading your Bible. I really think that's all he's after. Because as soon as you start trying to give an answer, he's out of the room. He's gone. He's done his part. He contributed with a question. It's a, it, it's a, it could be a valid question, and it could have a, a truthful answer that's needed to be heard by people. But it's asked in such a way that I would label that as a foolish question. Because you don't even want to know. 
I'm not trying to scare anybody out of asking questions. Okay? That's how we learn. That's how we learn. Trial and error. Asking questions. Conversation. Dialogue. But do it in a safe manner. Do it in such a way that you're not going to harm anybody else by asking the question. There's certain questions. <laughs> I got my three oldest kids in here right now. The youngest two, I think they're out there. They know there's certain things they don't ask about when the little kids are around. Right? They don't want to say. Sometimes we'll have a brief discussion about a sensitive topic and we'll say that's the end of the conversation. And you can just feel a question is burning and stirring there. But somebody else has walked in the room and it's no longer appropriate to ask that question. Don't go there. That's what I mean by ask it in a safe way. At, not the grocery store. Ask it in a safe manner. Or take me to Safeway if you have to. A foolish question. An unlearned question. An unlearned question is, a, is asked by a person that doesn't want to learn the answer. Sincere per people want to know the answers to the questions that they ask. And usually it's God dealing with them, burning something in their spirit or in their mind and in the scripture. Every time I go to read the Bible, I'm led right back here. I know the Lord's trying to tell me something, show me something. I need to ask. I need to get understanding about it. That is sincere. And that is welcome. As long as there is day, that is welcome. What's not welcome is I'm going to disguise my carnality, disguise my ungodliness in an unlearned question. A question that I can ask with no care about what the answer is. I just want to sound smart. I just want to sound spiritual. I just want to sound like I'm engaged and listening. There's a lot of flesh in that. Very little, if any, spirit in that. Everybody still with me? Yeah. I'm almost done. Verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. This is a very telling couple of words, or it's really all one word in, in the Greek, but those that oppose themselves. You could be your own enemy when it comes to trying to get close to God trying to have a relationship with God. You can oppose yourself. How do you do that? By going 
in and out of the things of the Spirit, in and out of a desire to live for God, in and out, and you oppose yourself. You, you, you've probably heard this, I'm sure many of you have in, in some ways, but your, your biggest struggle as a Christian is going to be your own flesh. Doing the things you want to do that you know you shouldn't do. And that, that's just the way it is. Those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. You, you instruct somebody that's opposing themselves in meekness. You go up to them and say, can I just tell you something that I've observed about you? I mean, I don't want to, not trying to be offensive. I'm not trying to, you know, be rude or mean about this. But I've noticed every time you, you do this, you're in a bad mood. That's just one example. But really what it looks like is you, you don't want to live that way. I mean, I believe you have a sincere desire to be happy and to please the Lord and to have good relationships with people around you. But, you know, whenever you do this one thing, it leads to all this mess in your life. That, that is an example of, in meekness, instructing somebody that's opposing themselves. Now, the, the response is all them and not you at all. Because either they're in a condition where they get convicted. Thank you. You're right. I know that's true. I could tell you what it is that caused that. And you're right on. Or that's not true. That's not who I am. You think you know, but you really don't. You don't have a clue what you're talking about. I'm just telling you, the response that you get, it's not on you, it's on them. There's some people that don't know how to respond to meekness because they never encountered it before. They don't grow up in an, in an environment where there is gentleness, where there is level-headedness and temperance. They don't grow up, they're not surrounded by that, so when they encounter it, it's foreign to them. Who does, this, who does this person think they are? Somebody told me one time, I don't remember who it was. I think it was a young man. He said, I know you get mad talking to me. And I only saw him like a couple of weeks, you know, here and there at church. And he said, I know you get mad. I don't know when. I don't know how. Because I've just, I told somebody last week, I'm, I'm probably about the least confrontational person that I know. And I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I'm just saying I've been around myself long enough to know if there's a way to avoid the confrontation, I'm going to try to take that route. But this young man said, I know you get mad, you have to. What does that mean? That means he's never encountered someone that mad. He's never spent time around somebody that's not, oh, let me tell you, all the time.
One more verse, verse 26. So he, uh, let me remind you, as you're looking there, in verse 25, he says, In meekness instruct them that oppose themselves, so that God could lead them to a place of repentance. In verse 26, he says, Hey, listen, this is ministry training 101 that Paul's giving to Timothy. You're going to encounter people like this. Let me try and give you some things that will help you help them. Love them. Have meekness about them. They're the, they are their own worst enemy. They don't need another enemy coming at them. You're not their enemy. Somebody hear that? You're not their enemy. We are not the enemy of the world. I don't think I have time to go down that road. But we are not. Some of us, of us have been so conditioned to think the battle is between the church and the world. It's not. Verse 26, And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. This is the goal. You help a person to the degree that they do the work they need to do. Anything beyond and above that is unrealistic of you to expect. You cannot make a person love Jesus. You cannot make a person repent of their sin. You cannot make a person want to live for God. You can't do any of that. You get them as far as you can with the instruction we've been given, and then they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. I'm just trying to shine a flashlight on where all the traps are. There's one over here. It's called bitterness. If you're bitter, that's going to get you. There's one over here. It's called drunkenness. If you drink all the time, that's going to get you. There's one over here. It's called anger. If you're anger, angry all the time, that's going to get you. I'm trying to show you where the traps are. That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. I, I, one last thing I want to show you in this passage. Recover themselves. The meaning behind that is return to soberness. You got your concordance? Look it up. Check me. But that's what it means. To recover themselves means to return to soberness. You are created. Every single one of us are created the way God wanted you to be created. And part of that is sober. Sober means free from any outside influence. Sober means not affected by things that change your mind, your personality, your demeanor. Most of the time, when we think of it, we think of some kind of substance, a chemical substance that takes me from being sober to being intoxicated, 
inebriated, whatever you want to call it, under the influence, and you go from being sober to being that. This scripture says you return to sober from where? From the snare of the devil. He'll use whatever trap he needs to use. But once he's got you there, you're no longer sober. Because you are under his influence. And while you're under his influence, everybody better look out. You want... I don't give disclaimers for people sinning, but I know when and where and how they sin most frequently. It's when they get under the influence of the devil, trapped, ensnared. The scripture says every man, you know this passage, we, I quote it frequently. Every man is drawn away by his own lust, right? Every man is drawn away by his own lust, and there's another word in there, and lust, when it is conceived, bringeth forth sin. The trap is your lust, whether you know it is or not. That's the trap. That's the snare. You get caught in the snare when you actually Enter the trap. Surveying that trap, it's not a safe place to be, but it, you're not going to be trying to understand it, looking for the lever, you know, sniffing the bait. Whatever it is that you're, 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 you're right there and you are not in a safe place, but that is every man is drawn away by his own lust. Drawn away from what? Just stop and ask yourself that. From a safe place. From the place that God created you to be in. You get drawn away from that and enticed. That's the other word. Every man is drawn away and enticed. I got good news for you. If you are susceptible to lust and enticement, it simply means you're still human. Don't think that that makes you a bad person. Okay? That just means you're human. Every human is susceptible to being drawn away. And, and, and the devil will put the trap there just to see how many he can catch. And if, it, you, I don't know how many of you have ever done this, but sometimes they string a line out into a river or a lake or something, and they, they'll leave that for sometimes days or weeks and return back, pull it in, and just see what they caught, if anything. There's usually something because it's been out there for so long. If there's nothing, what are they going to do? They're going to change the bait that's in there. They're not biting that. 
Is this all right? I'm trying to help you. I believe the Lord is trying to help us. You think, <laughs> imagine the fish. Oh, that's a trap. Don't go there. I've smelled that bait before. That's a trap. Don't go there. I've lost many friends to that trap. Swim around. And then they return about a week later. Oh, that's different. That's a new, that's a new trap. I don't even know if that is a trap, actually. It smells different. It looks different. Let me check that out. All that's happened is, in the time that they were away, the tempter, the fisher, the trapper, has changed the bait and set it back out. That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Return to soberness. You can stand with me. I'm about to close here. I was telling somebody just a couple of days ago how the scripture is full over and over and over of instruction about being sober, being sober minded, watching, being alert having all your faculties available to you. That's what it means to be sober. Why? Why? If I know, there's a, there's a plain and simple verse, I learned it when I was a kid. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. If I know that that's in there, why would I want to not be sober? It's almost like telling you the punchline before telling you the joke. There is an enemy out there, and he will catch you if you're not sober and if you're not vigilant. That means watchful and aware. So, now that you know that, here's all the things that will make you not sober. Here's all the things that will take your attention away from being aware, away from being vigilant. Now, just remember, if you give in to any of these things, if you partake in any of this stuff, there is a lion out there ready to snatch you up. All you have to do is don't do that stuff. That's the, that's the command of the scripture. Be sober, be vigilant. Not be a lion tamer. Not carry your, your biggest shotgun so you can always be ready to snipe him. You don't snipe with a shotgun. I know somebody thought that. But just be sober and vigilant. That's it. How hard is that? Well, it's as hard as however attractive those things are to me. To, to abstain from. To refrain from. 
I'd like you to close your eyes and I'd like us to pray to the Lord. Jesus, I feel your spirit here, Lord God, and I believe that you want to minister to us. Lord, I thank you for sharing the truth of your word with us. God, I want to be sober. I want to be sober-minded, Lord. I want my mind to be stayed on you, Lord Jesus. I want it to be free from any other influence, God. I want it to be free from any unclean or impure influence, Lord Jesus. God, those things that are traps set for me, those things that are snares set for others, God, I want to be aware of them. I want to be alert. Jesus, I want to be watchful. God, I want to be watchful and to know what is your will. I want to know what is your plan for me. I want to know what is your direction for my life. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, God, take my mind and cleanse it, Lord. Lord, take my spirit and wash it. Take my soul, Lord Jesus. Cleanse it, O oh God. I want it to be purged. I want it to be clean. In the name of Jesus, do your work in me, O oh God. In the name of Jesus, let your word have its work in me, God. I've got to study these things. I've got to know them, Lord. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, let's talk to the Lord. I feel His presence here right now. In the name of Jesus. This altar's open if you want to come and pray in the front. But I encourage you to find a place to pray. Let the Lord do this work in your mind. Let the Lord do this work in your mind.